Todd and Rob in, in the, the afternoon. afternoon. Hey, afternoon With Todd and Rob. Oh, yeah. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Todd Cochran. I want to welcome you to a live recording of the new media show. The new media show is basically uh, broadcast, I guess when we use that word, stream live every Wednesday at uh, 3 o'clock Eastern. We've been doing this show for more than 12 years. I think we've done the new media show here at PodFest almost every year since its inception. Of course, I want to introduce, I'm Todd Cochran. I'm the founder of Blueberry Podcasting and my co-host, Rob, go ahead. Yeah, it's great to be at PodFest 2024. Thank you so much for joining the new media show live in the expo. So they, uh, the PodFest expo has started as of about a half an hour ago, so we're we're right here with everybody else, so you're joining the party, as they say. So I'm excited, Todd. This is a, I don't know how many times we've been doing this show at the PodFest, but it's been many, many years. But I'm excited to have a couple of terrific guests with us. You know, Todd is uh, with Blueberry. I don't know if you mentioned that. And I'm with uh, a company called Spoken Life Media, uh, Rob Greenlee. And, um, and we also have on stage two uh, Roberto Blake, who's the CEO of um, Create Awesome Media. Yep. At uh, He's a YouTube creator, podcaster. Uh, if you want to check out his website, it's at uh, robertoblake.com. He's very, very knowledgeable about the, the podcasting and YouTube kind of spaces kind of merging together a little bit here. And so, so we'll talk a lot about that. And uh, I also have Gautam Raj Ganon, who's here. He's the CEO and founder of Hubhopper.com, uh, which is a podcast hosting platform out of the huge country of India. Uh, it's the largest country in the world, so I'm excited to have him join us. Hey, guys. Pleasure connecting and super, yeah. super honored to, to be here with you guys. And thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. So let's go ahead and just kind of jump into it. And uh, start talking about kind of what's happening with in the YouTube world and what we're seeing, how that's starting to interface with podcasting increasingly. And for me, in some ways, this is a kind of like a step back in time to some degree because when podcasting started, it started as an audio and video medium. And I think that what we saw over the last few years is a emphasis on the audio side. And so a lot of people thought that podcasting was pretty much just an audio medium, um, when it really has really always been an audio and video medium. It's just that a lot of people have uh, seen YouTube grow and seen that area develop over time and separately. Uh, but when YouTube decided that they were going to start calling a playlist a podcast, that kind of clouded the market a little bit. But uh, Roberto, tell us your thoughts on, I, I mean, you've been following the, the YouTube side for a long time. Since 2006 when right. everything got started, yeah. And so do you see this as a, you know, a real big change? I, I see it as a return back to our roots, honestly. The right. schism between audio and video when it came to podcasting mm -hmm. can probably be attributed to Apple and Steve Jobs when they did the iPod because it was audio only. And it revolutionized the concept of um, audio in general. You had them come over and legitimize the disruption and revolution that Napster started. Napster walked so that uh, the you know uh, the iPod could run, and so that iTunes could run. And so I think that YouTube is doing what it's um, 
you know, really always done. It's bringing us all back together in the media landscape. Uh, a lot of the most successful podcasts that have allowed the mainstream of podcasts. We live in an era where for the first time, more than half of America listens to podcasts for the first time ever. I would attribute it to the success of podcasts on video platforms, specifically YouTube, like uh, Joe Rogan, for example, yeah. being uh, another one. I would say that a lot of new media personalities have come up, especially during the pandemic. And now you have things like Andrew Huberman with Huberman Labs. You have um, Call Her Daddy uh, podcast, second uh, biggest podcasting deal in history after Joe Rogan. Um, I believe that one was $60 million. Uh, you have several other prominent podcasts, Diver CEO, Lex Friedman, all prominently known for their video content, but also no slouch on the downloads on the audio side. So I think that the schism mm -hmm. is coming to an end. And the thing is, I don't think that schism was something that was started by podcasters or by the community. I think it was started by the corporations to go figure. Yeah. Historically, though, if you look at the whole history of podcasting, there have been very, very, very few podcasters that have been successful YouTubers and YouTubers have been successful podcasters. That number, even today, is compared to the, the, the enormity of the podcasting space is very, very small. So Rob and I have been doing video for 12, 13 years. Yeah. So, you know, we've got a YouTube channel. And, but also, the majority of this audience, this podcast audience, 70% listen to the show, 30% watch the show, and they watch the show on Apple Podcasts. Most of you say, oh, you can watch a podcast on Apple Podcasts? So while YouTube, we all know, all of us watch YouTube, right? We love YouTube channels. I think the challenge that I have and the caution I have is it's two different mediums. Podcasting is a is an almost an in-your-head personal relationship, whereas YouTube is more of an interactive watch uh, type of uh, content. So it, I always caution podcasters that are doing going to do a YouTube channel. I think there's a YouTube strategy and I think there's a podcast strategy. They're all equally good. Don't get me wrong, they're all equally good. And if you had success in one or the other, bonus. I would I would agree, as the YouTuber in the house, like I would agree that it's absolutely different strategies yeah. uh, for both, and I would say that everything has its strengths to its, that it plays to. I would also say that, you know, we've seen a lot of what we're seeing with new media. We've seen the parallels before, I'm old enough, uh, I may not look like it, but I'm old enough to remember <laughs> the Howard Stern show. I'm right. old enough to remember a lot of radio personalities started doing live-to-tape video of their yep. radio shows, and people would choose those experiences, and you'd experience them very differently. And sure. I think that we still are going to have that today. What I, 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 By the way, I love everything you guys are doing at Blueberry. You guys are actually how I ever started tracking my analytics, and I still uh, use you today, and I still get the affiliate commissions for my links to today, so thank you. It's not an ad. <laughs> not sponsored. I mean, I, um, sorry, yeah. Oh, go, no, no go, so go ahead. Go. I actually think it's even uh, further than that. I mean, the defragmentation is not just between audio and video coming together. Uh, it's also, I think, with the fact that um, every other medium, when they've made the transition from offline to online, it's been a very smooth transition. So when music was being consumed offline and people were buying CDs, it was called music. And then when it went online, it was still called music. 
when video was being consumed offline it was being it was called video and when it was be- being consumed online it was again called video books yeah books same <laughs> but when it cool. came to the word podcast itself this was very confusing because this was an umbrella term for a lot of different things and when people made that transition from offline to online people didn't know what essentially uh, fell under the verbiage of podcast and this has much larger implications on the other side of the world like for example the very word podcast like he mentioned comes from ipod and broadcast right now that works very well for markets where apple is a very large player but in a market like india apple only contributes 2% of market share in terms of smartphones right so automatically everybody started to consider a podcast with people that had apple products and people in india that had apple products were from a very specific demographic very rich very wealthy so automatically they didn't consider it as a medium that embraced everybody mm. now for us a large part of what we've done over the last 7 to 8 year 9 years now is try to bridge the gap and tell people that the poetry that they used to listen to is also a podcast the um, stories that they used to hear the mythology that they used to hear even like uh, the religious narratives that they used to hear all of that they all fall under podcast it's not just business acumen related content because that's what a lot of people from the other side of the world that isn't as penetrated with a- apple sees so it's i see a defragmentation not just with video and audio but also defragmentation with the understanding of what podcasting is so i keep trying to tell people that it's anything that's not music and it's pre-recorded is a podcast a really silly anecdote is that i used to sit in cars uh, in an uber and the cab driver would be listening to a podcast and i'd ask him if he's ever heard a podcast and he he, he had no idea what i was talking about why listening to a podcast he used to be perplexed so a big part of this journey for us is also try to trying to bridge that gap you know probably of the 570 shows we've done on new media show i probably said this phrase at least 500 times i don't care where they listen or watch as long as they listen or watch no care where right we don't care as long as they it doesn't matter if it's on youtube doesn't matter if it's on spotify doesn't matter if it, but to your point on the android side i listen to 100 new podcasts every two weeks and i will be very frank about 90% of you never mention android never say so listen to me on apple podcasts or listen on spotify that you give your audiences two options and i'm like why why are you ignoring 50% of the people in the united states have an android and why are you ignoring the rest of the world which in india you said 97% are on android 98 98 yeah so Wow. And that's in you know that's just an market. ancillary. And that's the largest market in the world. Yeah. yeah. So don't forget about those Android users. But anyway, Rob, go way, ahead. By the way, more people if I'm not mistaken, don't uh, aren't there more people who speak native English in India than exist in the United States? Uh there are more people that speak native English in India than anywhere else in the world. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. 
So there's a lot of potential <laughs> listeners there, right? No, and that's actually quite funny as to why that happens. It's it's basically we've got 26 national languages, so you need one language <laughs> to unify everybody. Otherwise, nobody knows what to say to each other, and there's just bickering, <laughs> which is why you need English. Right. Uh, so yeah. Gautam, what do you think is going to happen in India with podcasting? Do you think it's it's just at the cusp of an explosion of interest and consumption? So yeah, I'll tell you, uh, that's a great question. I'll tell you the pros and the cons. So when you're looking at a market like India, which is already the third largest listening market in the world, and you've not even begun to scratch the surface of people listening uh, in India, like not even 1% will be listening in India. Right now, it's already the third largest. The big problem statement that people have is a large amount of people don't use Spotify even, nor will they use Apple Podcasts, nor do they use Google Podcasts, which is now YouTube Music. So a big fight for us, uh, which is what's caused us to evolve a little bit as a hosting platform, is we had to make sure that the content reached the listener. So instead of just distributing the content into platforms that were accepting podcasts, we had to change our strategy. So we built out plug-and-play solutions that integrated into platforms that never had podcasts. So into um, video OTT platforms, the streaming giants out of India. And these are platforms that have 50 million monthly active users, 100 million monthly active users. But there was no way for podcasts to reach them because those consumers aren't consuming on these apps that have podcasts. So a big battle for us. And I remember the first time we went to a large streaming bohemoth in India, we got thrown out of the room because they were like, podcasts are meant for folks in the West. You know, podcasts are meant for or podcasts are meant for the wealthy. And I'm, from my perspective, that it's, ironically enough, you're taking the medium that has the lowest barrier in terms of being language agnostic, literacy agnostic. Somebody who hasn't graduated the third grade can create a podcast just as well as a Harvard grad can. But they're being alienated from this entire medium. Um, so for us, it's, it's a large part of it is actually exposing these audiences into their into podcasts in their natural habitats instead of yeah. forcing them to move a platform that you have to consume here, you have to consume there. We will take the content to you where it is. Let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into this. You know, we put in a, a stats report basically for the first time ever at Blueberry last this month and Nigeria came out on our list as having 3% of the global audience that Blueberry measures and everyone said, where did that come from? And it came from two shows. Two shows delivering 23 million downloads a month into Nigeria <laughs> that were faith-based Muslim shows. Wow. And you think about, and those two shows are created here in the United States in New York, and yet they're reaching 23 million people a month in Nigeria. So if you think about your podcast beyond the borders of the United States, there's huge opportunities to reach a much, much larger global audience. So with economic and demographic changes that are going on, where, where can this international audience go not only on podcasting but on youtube in the next two to five years and, and let's i'm going to throw an angle on this ai is inundating I, oh yeah media everywhere fake stuff fake videos fake audio right how is this going to play into the next two to five years for people that have a real voice i, I can tell you a little bit about that i have insight i actually did a interview for my show with the vp of creator products at youtube amjad anif 
Um, so I spoke with him. I also spoke with YouTube CEO, uh, not on my video, but off the record. I spoke with Neil Mohan, the new CEO of YouTube, who took over for Susan Wojcicki. And what uh, both of them had to say was that they're looking at the product roadmap of YouTube and AI of natively integrating. And they announced this. This is on the record. They announced this at the YouTube Made event that I attended with the press um, in New York. And they're slowly rolling out AI native language dubbing directly into the YouTube platform. And right now, there are creators like Mr. Beast who already have it. But basically, if I make a YouTube video, I'll be able to push a button. And that video will be translated in a voice that sounds like me, that speaks in Hindi, speaks in um, Spanish, speaks in Portuguese, uh, speaks in Mandarin. And so now, all of a sudden, my content can scale to markets I never had true penetration access in and get me more views. And for the people that are in those native markets, they, for the first time, will have access to Western markets, but also to Western ad revenue and CPM values that they've never had before, and they're going to be monetized. And once they're monetized, oh, wow, is the landscape going to become much more competitive when that talent over there finally gets to play the game on an even playing field and have access to a market they never had? But also for the rest of us, having access and the ability to make a real difference in the world, we have the ability to onboard and bring people um, education, entertainment, insights. We have the ability to actually unify people. So the thing is, it's a brave new world. YouTube and Google are not playing around. They know this is the future. And the other reason they want to scale this is because there are platforms that do not have access to certain global markets, but they do. And so they'll be major players there for that reason. You know, that's been used by a few companies here in America where they've maybe done six or seven languages at great expense, but I, you know, I predict in two years we'll all be able to train our voice if we want to and have this automatically applied in various oh, and, languages. And, and YouTube and Google are giving it to us at front at zero cost. Right? Yeah, right. So that's a definite market advantage. So, uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to mention that, um, you know, what kind of pressure is that going to put on all of us to be a global creator? Or, are we going to have to up our game, or do you think that we're going to be able to find success like we've always been able to? A little of both. A little of both because you'll have home team advantage. You also have the native advantage of you've been onboarded onto the process. These are going to be people that have to learn from scratch how to do a lot of these things if you've already been in the game. Plus, you have home field advantage of being a native English speaker, so that's always right. going to matter to some right. degree. Right. The technology is also new. The technology is also new. So the thing is, it's going to, when it's coming out into rookie mode, it's not going to be perfect. Um, that's for bloody sure with any Google product, as much as I love them. But it's going to get very good very fast. So the thing is, everyone here has the opportunity of first mover advantage, has the ability to be an early adopter, and if you're already playing in the game, I wouldn't step up your game a little bit, but I wouldn't get intimidated. I would just remember that there, when when new players enter the market, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because now we'll be able to see where we stand, for one thing. We'll also have now more diversity of thought, which is always good to challenge ourselves. But don't be scared off by this idea that there's new competition in the market because thing is, new is new. New isn't better. I I had uh, a teammate take one minute of audio and put it into a system that a lot of people are using. Eleven labs? Yeah. Yeah. Took one minute of my voice and uh, created a short mini podcast. It was like two minutes. And it, it really kind of freaked me out a little bit with one minute of training. So 
take that a next step, I met a guy when I was at CES in Vegas just a couple of weeks ago, and he's from a very well-known tech site, and uh, I won't mention it, I won't out him here, but he's producing an AI podcast now that covers three topics a day, that all he does is he approves three topics and AI does the rest, and he pushes publish, and he's getting eight to 10,000 downloads on that podcast that's published five days a week with a AI voice. So the thing I'm, we're all kind of enamored a little bit with AI right now, but the thing that I want us to all remember is we're using the stupidest AI we'll ever use <laughs> right now. You know, you look at the outputs we're getting, and yeah. we're using the dumbest thing we'll ever use. Five years from now, we're gonna look back and laugh at this, and I know because yeah, we're still editing it now. Right? Yeah. yeah. So now, you know, I look at what we're doing at Blueberry and some of the stuff we're doing with AI, and, and been working for a while on this. Uh, it's it's a brave new world, and we're all going to have these great new tools. But I think it goes back to, and I keep saying this: original voices, true voices, authentic voices, are going to win the day. We're going to be inundated with so much stuff, articles fake videos, you name it. If your voice is the voice that's originating content, I think people are going to seek that out in greater numbers because they're not gonna know what to believe. And one thing podcasting has always done is we connected with audiences, they know who we are, they trust us, they trust our voices. So I think this is where podcasting, audio or video, is going to uh, rule the day going forward. Don't you think that live to tape podcasts have a distinct advantage for that reason because of the authenticity, the trust, and the fact that you can actually see and believe with your eyes? I think that, Todd, what's the, o what's the over under on Skynet right now? The over what? What's the over under on Skynet since you're looking at the app? Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's, here's yeah. the end point. You know, the reason that I did live when I started back in the days of Ustream was I lived in Hawaii, I was recording at 8 p.m. Hawaiian Standard Time, which was 2 a.m. Eastern, and I was lonely, and I was doing a solo show. So all I wanted was some people to come into a chat room and say, hey, we're listening, you're dumb, or whatever. So for me, it was about the interaction to start doing live, um, and I'd have people from Australia coming in and watching, but when Rob and I started doing live, it was because it made us better podcasters. You had to be prepped. You had to be ready. If you made a mistake, oh, too bad. It just it just went out. You know, you had no choice, and it it flowed into my style of editing, which I do know editing. So, for me, live is, was always a thing that was cool. But anyway, I've gotten a soft topic here. So, Sorry, Rob. So my uh, like one of the things that I feel really strongly about is I hate the way AI was branded to us. AI was branded to us in a way that it's coming for you, it's coming for your jobs. <laughs> right. You're is. going to you're going to become it's gonna you, kill you. Yeah, you're going yeah. to be useless very quickly, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. At the end of the day, when somebody asks me what AI is, I like to give the example of think about AI as when the calculator was invented. Now when the calculator was invented, it made people faster at doing math. It didn't make them useless. If there's any product that is just AI, that product is going to have a shelf life of about 12 months because they're on a wave right now. Yeah. If, if you're doing process re-engineering and you're trying to make things more efficient, utilizing AI and leveraging AI, that is phenomenal. If AI can take a three hour long process and make it into 45 minutes, that is where AI will be beneficial because AI is just a calculator. 
at the end of the day all of this rubbish content that people are putting out that is in this voice or that voice podcasts are theater of the mind yeah. you are co-creating with somebody you are the audio creator they are the visual creator in their minds and that's why it's so beautiful because everybody has a different story that's going on everybody is a different producer along with you co-creating now ai will never be able to replace that it can just make processes more efficient just like a calculator made processes more efficient and that's what we do in with hubhopper also right. is we right. constantly trying to state that when it comes to the creation process we will not meddle with that when it comes to the process of creating your show notes giving you suggestions on your titles creating social posts for you we will make that a lot quicker we will make your cover art a lot quicker but your content is you and I, even for the forthcoming future i don't want to meddle with that because that will ruin the sanctity of the medium in itself and it's not going to last for a long time in my opinion in dubbing yes it shouldn't be able to replace you it should assist you if it can replace yeah. you step your game up you're not good enough yet but yeah. but be honest with you my production is now longer but it's better yeah so i used to take a you know you guys some of you that edit you're going to hate me 30 minutes hit stop it's out the door it's on the street now it's an hour you know so because what am i doing i'm creating better show notes i'm creating better summaries better better bullet lists better google seo i've always said and this is another thing i said for many many years you record for your audience you write for google uh, don't forget yeah. that yeah. write for yeah. google yeah. don't write for your audience <laughs> write for yeah. google and the same thing with YouTube too. It is the same thing with YouTube. Yeah, because nobody's going to read it actually. It's, it's to feed the, the computer. Right. Like, the, the thing I will tell you about that, and that's a great point, is that I think it's wildly efficient for mechanical work, but not creative work. Yeah. yeah. I think that the branding of generative AI is disingenuous, but I also think the fear mongering was disingenuous. You have so many people riled up, and I'm like, no, yeah. it will only eliminate the bottom of the market, if anything, on that. I think the middle of the market. The filkers, the people that are doing the general stuff every yeah, day. It'll, that's it'll eat at the bottom of the middle. It'll yeah. eliminate the bottom all together. The bottom will fall out, and then it'll attack the bottom of the middle, but not the middle of the middle, and not the top of it. Yeah, your subject matter experts are going to survive this, and your creatives are going to survive it. But though the, as Google says, those thunking things that we do every day, that's going to get absorbed and allow us to have better processes. But anyway, go ahead, Rob. But yes. To take a counter argument, there is some evidence that you can create a podcast with an AI voice, and it sounds pretty good right now. Uh, that part, yes, because that's mechanical. But right, the script, right. the script, no, 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 no. Right, <laughs> right. And so, as we look five years out or so, when AI gets better, and we do see uh, more general intelligence, uh, more human-like intelligence, which is coming, I think. Um, I think this question is going to be revisited again. Who, who's, listening, who's listened to the late George Carlin's new podcast episode? You have to listen. It's creepy. You have to listen. Yeah, it's good. How long has George Carlin been dead? What, 15 years? Yeah. Go listen to his new episode. It came out a couple weeks ago. You're going to be blown away. There's another one with uh, Steve Jobs and Joe Rogan. Uh, <laughs> So it's it's ridiculous. It's the most scary thing I've ever heard. Uh, but like I said, I think it's still gimmicky. Like at the end of the day, yeah. AI is a car. Before cars, we had like whatever. We had our feet and we'd get from one place to another in longer time. But we were still relevant. 
from even when we reach that end point. Same with the calculator. That's all AI is. It's nothing else. And we get it now. In 25 years, I think that Tron is relevant. I think you're competing with Clue. You're competing with a like the an optimized best version of yourself. That's a clone. That's younger, right. smarter, right. At, at every level. But 25 years is a good run rate, y'all. So get it now. Hey, who knows? It's a path to immortality for all we, of us. We were having a little uh, cocktail last <laughs> night, and. Uh, I have 60 hours of my grandparents' life history recorded, and they've been gone for a long time. And I thought, what if I put all that audio in an AI, can I have a conversation that talks about, if I have a historical, what happened in 1923? Because we, you know, we, we covered a 90 years of their history and that 60 hours, so what, what's coming is... It's going to be oh, amazing. We're, we're going to Star Wars. I don't know how many how many Star Wars nerds in the house raising show hands. Show keep them up. All right. So those of you who are real Star Wars nerds, we're about to get those Star Wars holocrons. It's like I'm going to be a Sith Lord living forever. Yeah, I I I waited in line to see the very first airing of Star Wars. So I, I totally appreciate yeah, no, all that. of your knowledge, everything that you ever thought of, and your likeness preserved for all time for all of your apprentices to rule the galaxy. Yeah. Now, what's yeah. kind of funny is Rob and I. We don't know exactly who we work for, but we basically signed a contract this Christmas where they use 750 hours of Robinized voices and 2,000 plus hours of my voices to train something, along with 30,000 wow. other hours of audio content well, that we are promised they're not going to clone us, but... Well, Todd, it was to train conversational AI. Yeah. What they were using it for. Right. And by the way, oh my God. that was... That was a good contract. So, um, so you know, we had this. Hey. Rob and I have this video versus audio, audio versus video, YouTube versus podcast. You know, and sometimes get people get entertained and said, "Oh man, if they were together, they would there'd be a fist fight involved." But so, video versus audio, or video or video and audio, you know, it's complicated. So, for those that are new, they're thinking about doing this. What's the blend? What, where? What's the advice that you can give? You, you know, you know, you, you know, you're you're the YouTuber. What what is the advice you can give someone that's new here? Okay, what should they consider? There's going to be a couple of small plugs in here, so grain of salt. <laughs> but um, our friends over at Streamyard, this makes life easy. Okay. So top of funnel, I'm gonna give you a preview to my presentation tomorrow. The top of funnel is if you go live and you go live to tape, it saves you the most time. Because if you do something live, it's in real time, and basically when it's done, it's done. It's done, it's so done. So StreamYard, real time, you can do a live podcast, you can do it there live to tape. It will do with AI your captions right then and there yeah. in real time. Yeah. So now you have the captions and you have the transcript for your entire thing. It records you and your guest, and you can even do what's called local recording. So you can have the individual video stream of Todd, Rob, me, like all of us, whatever. You could have in those individual videos, but you also get the individual audio streams too, which means now if you want to do an audio-only podcast, you can take all that audio and now you can upload it to the podcast host of your choice. Now, some podcast host, um, I don't know if Blueberry has this, but I know Podcastle does, uh, with you take the AI and it can do the AI mastering of the audio for coming. you. Coming soon to Blueberry, okay. Already available <laughs> coming. And, and coming yeah, as well. Yeah. So, like, so it's going to be able to do that and it's going to be able to do that with your audio for you and then you don't have to become an audio editor or audio engineer and you did it in real time. So you did production versus post-production and you got it right at the start in microphone and then in camera. For the video side of this, you already have it 
in StreamYard. If you do it live to tape, you can multi-stream to every single platform and you can be on all these platforms and monetize and promote yourself, promote your brand, promote your product, promote your email list. Here's the thing, you can take that video download, you can run it into a, another uh, tool called Opus Clip. Okay, Opus Clip and their AI will then repurpose this for you and you'll get like 30 clips and you can pick and choose and you can edit them a little bit and it'll even do the video captions on the video for you to make those nice shorts and Instagram reels yeah. and TikToks. And here's the other part. You can literally tell it now, schedule these things that I want upload three a day or I want upload one a week to this platform, this platform, and you can set up the different schedules. So now it's set it, forget it, it's automated or your assistant can do it. And then on top of all of that, you have the ability to take that transcript that you had from StreamYard, plug that into ChatGPT, have a pre-prompt that you've written, that you've engineered, that's very advanced, and have it take this transcript and get the five best takeaways and bullet points. That becomes a tweet that you can post, that becomes a LinkedIn post, that becomes a Facebook post, so now you can multi-purpose to that. Yeah. Bright then, minds think alike. And then if you get it just right, yeah. There is a prompt. I know how to write this prompt. If you then tell it to take something like this bullet list or you tell it to take the content for the stream and you can get that into a list that then it can turn into a table, you can do three steps. Now take this information, take it, put something yeah. into a takeaway list. Now to find information that's great to put into a comparison table. If you have the paid version of ChatGPT, it can take that and it can take that table. This is how you get to accurately do text, by the way. Once you have a table, you tell it you need 100% readability, 100% accuracy, 100% legibility. This is important. And it can take that table and it can make a visual table and chart for you or a graph and it will be 100% readable, 100% legible as long as it processed that as a table output first and it will make you a visual diagram and graph. So now you have you did live the tape in real time. You took a few minutes to get more text content for your email list, your LinkedIn. You got all the written content for your podcast. You now got a visual out of it. You now got short form video in vertical video. You've got clips. You have multi-purpose. The multi-purposing of this will literally take you or an assistant one to two hours to literally have hundreds of pieces of content from a one hour stream. So yeah. all of you, I know yeah. you just took all those notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, awesome. Subscribe to the podcast. You'll be able to re-listen to this and his instructions and what he just did. There was there was about a, a million dollars worth of advice that was just given there in two <laughs> minutes. And, and to think in 2004, all I wanted to do was be able to walk from the house to my car and have my audio with me without having to resync. We have come a long way, baby. Yeah, we I'm, have come a long I'm gonna way. I'm going to have to slow it down when I, when I listen <laughs> so, to it again because, uh, but I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, true to brand, I'll tell you, uh, being an Indian nerd, uh, I'll tell you from a statistics standpoint, uh, when people talk about video versus audio, there is no market till date where the same trend has not followed. So video takes off first. So consider it the older brother or the older sibling. And this older sibling paves a little bit of this path for consumption. This is followed by audio. And then audio and video rise together. It's never as though one is rising and then the other one declines. Both the graphs, if you trace the graphs across a five-year five time horizon, you actually see both graphs always rising together. It's never that people are now consuming video and less. Or people just get more desirous for content 
so when they're consuming passively they'll consume audio when they consume actively they'll consume video which is why one of the most important things to do is and this is something that i've seen so many podcasters may it maybe it doesn't happen in the states but in india it happens too much where they'll take the same audio file um and they'll put a replica of that in a video file so they'll take a 40 minute version of their audio podcast and they'll put that 40 minute video up on youtube and all they're doing in this scenario is they're cannibalizing on both of their shows instead what you need to do is you need to understand that with video time attention spans are lower because it's more immersive so you need to use clips a lot more pre the show you have to use a clip to promote the show for the for the entire week or the two weeks after your show you have to continue to use clips to bring people back to the long form and that way you can take that same show and have it come out in two different avenues on video and audio and have them play together and youtube did a new feature called um their content leaks their related video links so if you make youtube shorts you can link the youtube shorts to a long form piece of video yeah, right. so you can filter right back up to your complete podcast from the youtube shorts I want to bring this back down a little lower. Um, the number one question that I get when I talk to all of you and when we do uh, a consultation is, how do I grow my show? That's the question every time. And we're going to talk about building audience here for a little bit. But, you know, the number one thing I find on your websites when I go to your websites, I can't subscribe to your show. I go to your homepage of your website and above the fold there's no place that makes an indication you are a podcaster. I can't even figure out the follower subscribe. So my one tip from this little session today is make sure when I come to your website I can subscribe. And by the way, if you don't have a website, please graduate your podcast and get your own .com. So let's talk a little bit about keeping audience growth going and how should this be done. And you know, there's a lot of right now we're at a low um and, and and let me let me back this up this is the best time ever to be a podcaster and here's why the last 30 days 337,000 shows approximately have updated their podcasts they published one or more episodes a year ago that number was about 460,000 so we've seen a drop in new uh, in podcasters updating their content every month but that audience has went nowhere the audience is still there consuming content so that in mind what what do you get you know what's the you know what your guys's recommendation on audience growth for these podcasters and then it could be youtube it could be podcast let's cover it all as somebody who specifically um specializes around audience growth but monetization simultaneously i'll tell you this one of the reasons i believe in the live to tape version of multi streaming is because you get to grow platforms simultaneously and for most people who here also works a 40 hour week job in addition to content creation show fans keep them up okay so i call that being a working class creator you have to find scraps yep. of energy yep. after a working 40 hour 50 hour week yep. to do this so one of the reasons i like the time saver of multi streaming is you get some content for any platform all at once and people can choose how they want to consume the live or the replay and it's there you also get the repurposing aspects of it so that's the other reason i like that formula that i gave you earlier is because it's conscious to the working class creator that's just getting started right. that is like i don't know where to start well what if i told you you can be in all places at once for no extra effort push the button 
So that's why I like that strategy. If you can't do that for whatever reason, live doesn't work for you, you're too nervous, you need to polish yourself, whatever, it's a little rougher. But what I would tell you in that situation is that growth will then come from volume and value. It'll be prep, it'll be um, the prep work and it'll be the repetitions and you have to you have to grow slow. You just like you build muscle in the real world, it's slow growth. Do not look for viral fame, shortcuts, guru hacks, none of that. It's just the constant repetition and it's incremental improvement time after time after time. The big the biggest caution that I can give any content creator that is doing their podcast and their audio only today and they're thinking about going to video. If you once you add the video component, you have to have the mental acuity to remember that a large percentage of your audience is still only listening. Because if you show something in the video and you don't describe it, you're gonna lose an audio listener. They're going to leave. So you need to make sure that, I have a note on my monitor, they're listening. That's all it says, they're listening, even though we're doing video, because I have to remember when I show something on the screen, I have to describe it. So from the, you will annoy the beep out of your audience if, if you don't describe what you're looking at for those that are listening. So that's my tip. What do you think on audience growth? What are your recommendations? I mean, uh, if one is to follow a, uh, basically a step-by-step -step approach here, I would say the first thing that one should think about is their ICP, so their uh, ideal customer profile or listener profile, so let's call it I ILP. Uh, understand who you're creating for and why you're creating for them and what value they're going to gain out of this, even before you start thinking about audience growth, because one of the things that I think people uh, mess up a lot is they're constantly trying to stuff the top of their funnel, but they don't take into account that they have a very leaky bucket. So what that means is that they are losing their listeners and then trying to gain listeners. If you are able to build a step-by-step -step approach, first you need to identify who your ICP is, understand what value they're gaining out of your podcast. After that, you need to basically state, see in the podcast that you created, what are five other podcasts that are just like that podcast, which is doing really well. Um, you can potentially even reach out to them, structure your show around what works for them, what didn't work for them. Also reach out to them to see if you can be on a guest on each of their shows. I know this is stuff that's been said ad nauseum, but it's important to take note of. Understand when in their day they have free time, because if you know them and you can visualize them wholly and solely, you know that they'll have time at night on their day, way to work, on their way back from work, try to hit them at that period of time. If you can figure out retention strategies like making the audience member feel like they're a part of your show, whether that's by answering a question for somebody in your show via mail, that person will not leave you post that point. You've got a loyal listener then. Then you're building on top of that listener instead of trying to consistently think about the fact that no, I want that person now and I want that person and I want this person. Keep focusing on making sure that those 20 people are satiated and then on top of the 20, the another 20 that come, you're growing from a arithmetic progression, you'll start growing geometrically very, very rapidly. I mean, so mine would be less about hacks and tricks and tips and all of that. It would be more about this. And then make sure just just like Todd said, you need to make sure that when you are writing anything about your podcast, you are writing for the search engine. You are not writing for the listener. Otherwise, they would be reading an article. You need to write as per a search engine ingesting that content. Um, so you have to just research on how to do that. 
the more the easiest way to think about it is the more relevant content you have the more times somebody queries something on google or on any platform or on a any podcatcher your content will pop up you need to make sure that you are in the similar category as much as possible so that when there's a bleed from somebody else's show it falls into you so you catch their bleed instead of basically the other thing happening alternatively those right. of you old enough to remember remember how the card catalog worked in the library remember that for those of you not old enough to remember that think about how you would go about finding i want to find every film in netflix from quentin tarantino or right. oh i only want films from the 1990s or so and so forth you want to label and categorize per how would i find this needle in a haystack rob i'm, I'm stealing the mic here but i'm going to ask one question and i'll let you take it So, this is a question I ask every podcaster that I talk to. And I want you I'm only going to give you about 2 seconds. I'm going to ask you a question and if you know what the answer is, raise your hand immediately. If you pause, you're about in the 50% of the group. What is the goal of your podcast? Raise your hand if you know it. Oh. See? If you can't if you don't know what the goal of your show is, then how can you create content to meet the goal so well, Todd, it even goes beyond that it's about well, what's your purpose what's your mission but what the goal, you, yeah i mean it, it i mean are you trying to that. create change in your audience are you trying to inspire people to do something uh, different with their lives or i mean i mean you have to start thinking about your content that you're you're really going to try to drive community around a certain attitude a certain change a certain movement of sorts. I mean, you think about some of the biggest shows out there right now. They have a mission-driven objective for what they're trying to do. Their their topics are driving towards trying to improve people's lives or change people's lives. Those kind of things. I don't what do you guys There's think actually, about doing a podcast as a mission? Yeah, no, I mean there are actually only four reasons, so you just need to figure out which one you fit into. It's quite easy. So you either when you're creating a podcast you're creating it either because you want to build a brand now that brand can be personal or it can be for a business but you're building a brand that's reason number 1 so in this scenario your strategy will not be towards monetization first strategies even the way you're writing your copy everything then you need to know that that's your objective the second one is that you are trying to monetize your podcast but you are trying to monetize Uh, so in monetization it breaks up into two you're trying to monetize something outside your show so it can be a course you're selling online it can be a d2c brand uh, so you're selling shoes somewhere or you're selling coffee. something yeah coffee anything right that's scenario number 2 so again here the podcast is not what's monetizing it is something else that's monetizing as on the back of your podcast the third scenario is the podcast is the asset the podcast is what monetizes right and so you're creating and then your strategy is solely and wholly focused towards that and then the fourth one is it's a hobby because you care about um, uh, you care about let's say uh, mayan history but none of your friends care about mayan history so you need to speak to somebody about mayan history so that's the reason that you're creating it so everybody yep. falls into one of these four and you have to just pick which one you are in actually. it's a concept called ikigai if anyone wants to look that up it's a concept called ikigai it comes from okinawa japan it's the intersectionality of passion um your skills or ability the uh monetization oh this will pay me so i won't be poor or it's also this serves the world in some uh way so that's called ikigai and it's spelled i k i g a i i believe yeah it's so, a great ikigai. book also it's a really really good book 
and a lot of people over here will probably also think that no but i want this and that right so like no i want i want i want, i'm creating it because i have a passion for it, but i also want to make money out of it so then there's another book that you should read called traction and traction is basically by the guy that created uh, the search engine uh, duckduckgo have you guys heard of the search engine duckduckgo so the yeah. main objective with traction is that you need to know what your first traction goal is so once you've attained that first traction goal only then start thinking about the second one so if your first traction goal is monetization and then it is to change the world for a better place then only think about monetization for now and then once you reach that particular steady state then start thinking about the other thing otherwise you're going to be confusing your audience confusing yourself confusing how you create your show everything so it's one goal at a time that's you know my, mine was more selfish i wanted authority so i could get a press pass to a to a trade show and then uh, in the early days of podcasting it was very expensive to do a show and when i showed the wife the bill she says uh, you got 2 years to monetize so then it became monetized so, <laughs> so you know it, your, your priorities change depending on who's pointing a finger at you rob go ahead yeah i wanted to mention too i think we're in kind of a transition time right now in the podcasting space because if i think back to when todd and i started 20 years ago and this most of the podcasters were what I would consider to be kind of geeks right and we had to be technologists we had to be knowledgeable about how to hack things and to do things uh with technology that had never been done before right and so I think we're in that era a little bit now again and I think uh, uh Roberto's a good example of a kind of a tech minded kind of innovator you know that's um that's kind of plowing new ground i think you do with this ai revolution that we're seeing you do have to be in that mindset of tinkering with things and trying new things but you know like with what the roberto uh, roberto has shared here is some really good tips on how to kind of tap into the potential of these tools and kind of hack your way to doing something revolutionary because there's no platform right now that does all of this for you you have to piece it together right now and that's exactly what Todd and I had to do to start podcasting i was hand hand editing rss feeds when i started yeah. oh i i don't I, i had 12 shared hosting accounts to move the audio around every 3 days because i ran out of bandwidth there was no <laughs> i don't miss those days there was no libsyn there was no blueberry that didn't exist yeah, so you know that's why the i think my monthly bill just to do the show is about $900. You remember live 360? Yeah, I remember you stream and some yeah. other stuff. But thank God those days are gone, you yeah. know. So let's let's keep in the future here. Let's not yeah, be no, I mean, old curmudgeons. Guys, so. I'm still I like guys, I'm I'm like still a curmudgeon. I'm a geek. I'm a geek. I just happen oh, to be able to Oh, you are. Yeah, totally. no, I'm a geek who can lift and I just like money. So what attracted me to you was your ability to hack stuff and yeah. to try new things and, and and then share that with others which is what Todd and I do have been doing for 20 years. So yeah. there is one thing I'm super excited about matter of fact I'm all in for been for a while and, and how many of you heard the term podcasting 2.0? Unfortunately. Okay, good. So uh come to my session on Saturday I'm going to clue you in and if you aren't clued in you need to be clued in. And we're going to talk about how 2 to 3% of podcast apps are making a immense change in podcasting. So we'll talk about that on Saturday, but uh, make time for that. Rob, you got some other stuff on here. We normally go 
completely, we never have a list of stuff to talk about. But Well, and also, if you have a question that you want to ask us, too, we have time. So we're going for another uh, 30 minutes, potentially. So I'd be happy to hop down and hand the mic off and, and see if the panel wanted to address somebody here. So let me do that real quick here. We do have a couple of topics, so don't worry if we run out of questions. We we got plenty to talk well, about. Don't we? Things, man. Yep. I just have a question. Thank about you, thank you. You too, as well. I'm like super into it. YouTube. So I've been podcasting since 2000. Well, this particular podcast since 2018, and I've been syndicating that podcast to YouTube from Spreaker mm -hmm. that entire time. But now I have a podcast tab and create a podcast playlist. How effective is that? when you have this audio only syndicated over to YouTube and there's no really video attached to that. So, so I would tell you the optimal thing to do would be instead of just purely automating the ingest, which YouTube podcast now lets you import that RSS feed and so on and so forth, is I would say that the most effective strategy would necessarily be to do that and would be to attach some native visual to YouTube since there is that expectation. However, what the benefit is is when you check the podcast playlist tab, YouTube um, enhances the distribution. And the thing is, if you at least um, do that natively, meaning upload it to YouTube instead of having the Spreaker connection to it, if you did it natively and it, you at least branded it, maybe used um, an audio waveform, for example, you do something that at least feels branded, People can put that on and say, okay, this is background play. I'm not watching it. I am going to listen to it as background play because people will still do that with YouTube. Some people also still use YouTube and not just YouTube music as their audio podcast listener because they prefer the discovery and features, the playback speed. It's just a better UI UX in many cases. So from a media player control standpoint, they just like YouTube for that. But I would encourage you to consider going to the branded option. And when you do check off that box in YouTube, make no mistake, whether you're doing a recorded video or a live stream, it does enhance the distribution to use the podcast playlist and to check that box. I, I will also add that your title, this is an opportunity. I'm hearing The title I put on my podcast that goes to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everything was a title. What I put on YouTube is a different title. So I have two ways, two potentials to discover, have someone discover the same episode twice from a different, two different topics. I know, I agree So I use completely different titles YouTube and my podcast. It's, it's, well, that's the I don't have a question, but I did artist. want to say yeah. my yeah. podcast is called Kick-Ass Boomers, and this past week I interviewed ChatGPT talking about <laughs> aging in America, and it was scary. It did sound like a guess. It yeah. was scary, so it drops this Monday. We'll Everybody, your, <laughs> new, you, your new YouTube meta is to make a video where you interview ChatGPT in your niche and in your subject matter and have a debate with ChatGPT in your subject matter. Thank you. Thank That's you. your new meta hack to get you an extra 10,000 to 100,000 views. Thank you so much for that. There you go. Hey guys, okay, hi. Quick question for you on the YouTube aspect of um, when how does is the consumption affected when the stream is done and somebody is just watching the like replay instead of watching live? Because I noticed they were in different tabs, and I didn't know 
if it affected visibility, if it was pushed different ways, that makes sense, versus, na versus natively uploading. I wasn't sure if you So when you do a YouTube live broadcast, even if you use a third-party tool, if you do a YouTube live broadcast, even if you use a third-party tool, upon completion, of that, and this is a great oh, question. You. Upon completion, oh, it will go to the live tab in YouTube instead of the videos tab. That is a video that can be replayed and watched. However, the majority of people will discover it as a result of YouTube surfacing it in the YouTube browse features, which is the home page, and YouTube suggested videos alongside other videos. What I've learned is that recently, over the last uh, 18 months, suggested is the best. Um, distribution funnel for YouTube live stream replays. And for that reason, every single person, when you do a live stream on YouTube, one, consider making a different title for while it's live versus for the replay. Yeah. Optimize it for the replay afterward. Number two, put it into podcast uh, playlist, and not just a podcast playlist, but other different various playlists on your YouTube channel. Yeah. On top of that, make sure that you have chapters for it because YouTube can discover and recommend the video among other videos based on an individual segment of the live stream replay for the video and that's what will increase your distribution. As much as people will tell you to ignore tags, I'm not gonna tell you to prioritize them, but I would tell you to label them the way that you would label this as a movie if you were still at Blockbuster or in Netflix and you wanted to discover it, meaning like when we, like we said, old school Dewey Decimal System, who is in this, what is its features, when was this published, that sort of thing, so go more with um, things like if this is a podcast, put that podcast label in the tags, put um, live replay, put replay, put listenable. Uh, if it was a category like it was a lecture or a workshop, put that in the tags. Just label it based on not this idea that, oh, this is what's going to get me more views. Consider that, no, I want to be surfaced to the right people looking for the right things because it's not about people searching for that to get you more views. It's about it getting impressions in the recommendation engine based on the accuracy of your transcript versus the accuracy of all of your metadata, and that's what YouTube goes off of. So I hope that answers your question about distribution and surfacing. It, it, it also goes back to what I said earlier that you have a podcast strategy and you got to have a YouTube strategy for the same if you're going to do this if you're going to do this game and you're going to do both ways you know you got to do your research and become a YouTube publishing expert as well you know there's lots of explanations on how to do podcast episode publishing well and need to be ranked by Google and all that but it's a whole different game within YouTube so if you're going to play this dual distribution game you know learn how to be a YouTuber first as well and remember, live versus replay value. Yeah. Live value versus replay value. Integrate live and replay value into your live streams. And this is something that Rob and I had talked about on our uh, episode on StreamYard on your podcast over yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and I would tell you, and this is again another plug, but if you want to learn more about live streaming and video podcasting, the folks at StreamYard have gathered together some of the best experts, including myself, Rob, and others, to make content over there. So if you want a place to learn, that is a good place to start. Hi, I'm Jody Weiss, and I have a new podcast. Um, we're interviewing neuroscientists and quantum physicists on reality, how we create reality, the mind, intellect, ego, etc. We've done uh, 15 interviews, and we are about to launch in uh, mid-February. Um, I have a following on LinkedIn of about 4,000 people, but we really are starting to stand still 
And I wondered if you had a recommendation of how to start to grow an audience um, at this juncture. Well, you, you definitely need to leverage that following on LinkedIn, you know, because you got to go where your tribe is, you know. So everyone's tribe is in a different location. Business shows, you know, LinkedIn makes sense. And if you've got those folks over there, you know, the biggest mistake I think a lot of podcasters do in launching is you said you got 15 in the can. You get, them, get that first episode out. Get, get that first episode published, publicized, promoted, and, 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 and just get going because you, that's the key ultimately is get that first episode published. You're going to make changes. You're going to learn. First is going to be family and friends. Then it's going to be recommendations. Then it's going to be people that you follow that are going to follow this. Some will, some won't, so what? But then it's rinse, wash, repeat. And don't make the mistake of publishing 10 episodes at once. Publish the first episode, know what your, know what your publishing rate's going to be, and release the next episode that you've already pre-recorded in that succession. Because if you launch more than three at once, well, most of the podcatchers are going to not show them the, the third episode. They're not going to show them the first. So get that first episode out, delay a few days, whatever it may be, put the second one out. I don't know. It, it, there's there's 8,000 consultants out there that's going to tell you how to launch. Half of them don't know what the hell they're talking about. Have you have you put together something on the cold start problem that like launch, people are facing at launch? Have you put together like a framework for that for them? I, we haven't, I, you know, because, you know, 50% of the people that say they're going to start a podcast, make it to episode seven, and they quit. So, you know, just getting those episodes out and putting the good show titles, putting the good metadata in there, you start the journey then to build basically discoverability. And if you're planning on being discovered outside of your tribe, it, you know, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Um, and it, it takes time. A new show uh, needs to be in there every, every week in those people's ears because they will build you into their lives. So consistency, you know, there's a lot of people that have good ideas, but I think just putting that content out there, good metadata, promoting, maybe do a little advertising on LinkedIn, you know, there's ways to, to grow. But if you have 4,000 people already, that's more than most. So uh, we have a cool, I mean, I'd created a cool start uh, lecture series, you can call it, or like a, it's, it's a free course. If you can understand my accent, I'm very happy I give it to you. Uh, uh, but uh, one of the other things, which is just a small uh, thing that you should feel really good about is, is if you made more than three episodes, only 44% of podcasters make it past that point. So you're already there. You're like, you've already, now you need to get out into the world. And there are people normally think about the word podcast launch and they think about the word, they think about the word podcast launch and market launch as the same thing. Actually, they're two very separate things because a lot of people launch their podcast and then they're like, cool, now people will listen to me, right? So you have to have your podcast launch, which is when your show is going out and then your market launch is when you're telling the world about it. So if you think about launch as two separate things, it'll actually make your life like really easy. And in the market launch, one of the other things that you can do is you've got this community of people on LinkedIn. Outside of that, find uh, actual communities on Facebook and other platforms and instead of just dropping your episode and saying listen to my episode uh, which is what most podcasters do ask people a poll ask people a question ask them to participate in it ask them what they hated about it like ask them to like insult you if, if need be just get them to actually engage with it outside of because we've created a bunch of communities 
and one of the things that i hate most is people are just drop their episode and they like listen but why i don't understand why on earth somebody would listen so do not post and ghost do not post and ghost do not ghost your audience i repeat do not post and ghost i'm going to use that i I, I, I like that yeah that's nice hey rob you've got one in the back there that's Look. got a hand oh over here i got one, one over here too okay can you give me some uh, some best practices when it comes to monetization? I'm thinking specifically about like YouTube when you post a video, and if you let YouTube monetize it for, you know itself, it will go through and put a whole bunch. Is there diminishing returns? Like this is too much. I go in personally and edit those and manage those and have so many depending on how long the video is. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I pay for uh, YouTube Premium, so I don't have to listen to any YouTube ads to begin with. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not the YouTube advertising expert. I am a podcast advertising expert, and the I guess the only thing else, and I'll, I'll let you weigh in on this, but on the podcast side is, um, I know my audience. I have a 60, 50 to 60 minute show. They will listen to two host reads. I, I put a third one in there. They start to bail. And I start losing audience. So you got to learn your audience and what they're going to put up with. And especially if you're doing a host read and you're reading a, a 30 second ad that lasts three minutes, then you, you only have room for one. Um, so I think you have to really figure out where that weight is within the show. And also, YouTube, you make sure you disclose that there's a paid advertisement in there when you publish that episode as well, because you, 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 they catch you. They will, they will. You, you'll be done. You have to, per the FTC, do it in the description. Uh, per YouTube, they do allow you to check a box to disclose. Now, yeah. checking that box is not required if you meet all other FTC requirements, but it is recommended. It's recommended. So you would want to check that box, label in description, and a verbal disclosure. And I would recommend a visual disclosure. Now, YouTube, if you check that box, will do an integrated visual disclosure for you. And that will be sufficient, but I would recommend doing one of your own. Uh, in fact, what um, a lot of times I'll do is sometimes I'll be extra and I'll film my ad inserts against my green screen. And the thing is, in my green screen background, it has a ticker thing that says sponsored going on behind me. And so it's like, you cannot tell me that I did not disclose government. <laughs> like, you know, get off my, the FTC won't let me be. So like the, um, so what I would tell you is um, best practices for monetization. Everybody do not use the automatic uh, post-roll, pre-roll, mid-roll that YouTube does. Now, they will default you into pre- and post-roll, but mid-rolls, the ads that come in the middle, you want to do manual placement for that no matter what because YouTube will either do too much or too little and usually in the exact most awkward place you can think of. So I highly recommend that you manually do that. Now, in terms of disbursement of that, you have to gauge for your audience's tolerance. It's uh, tolerance just like we were talking about. You have to know your audience avatar just like we were talking about earlier. But here's what I will tell you. Do keep in mind that when you do those manual ad placements, that just because you do a manual ad placement does not guarantee that an ad will play. So several reasons. One, YouTube Premium, and you do get YouTube Premium revenue per share of watch time pool. So for longer content replays, and this is why you do not unlist your live stream replays. You let them ride, and you get that sweet, sweet AdSense revenue, but you also get the premium revenue for watch time. Also, if you're trying to get monetized, you do the live stream replays up so you get the watch hours to qualify for the YouTube Partner Program. You get your 4,000 hours of watch time. So. I would spread out the ad placements manually. I would pick 
and even do my performance in such a way to where there might be small pauses or gaps in silence where it's appropriate to do the ad placement, I will tell you that YouTube won't always do that. Now, um, do it manually for you. So you show, uh, sorry, automatically for you. So you want to do it manually. Here's another thing. Do not rely on YouTube partner program or AdSense. Get your own brand deals and sponsorships. I negotiated at the beginning of this year, I'm happy to say, haven't published this yet. I just, I uh, negotiated over $200,000 of brand partnerships at the beginning of the year across my platforms. That's my YouTube, my email list, my social media amplification. You want to figure out your tolerance for sponsorships and you want to have a programming schedule in mind saying, here's how much inventory of content I'm making for the year. Here's my ratio. Maybe a third of it's sponsored uh, content and I do that many um, media sales of my inventory or maybe it's half and it's 50-50 so that you're not over leveraged. I believe in audience equity. So I believe you either do, okay, audience equity. A third of content is sponsored so my audience is still a big part of the investment in my channel or at worst, it's 50-50. I'm half subsidized by brands and then everything else is subsidized by the audience's uh, participation, whether that's through uh, whether that's through watching ads, buying products, or clicking on affiliate links. So uh, monetization strategies are, if you do live stream, you get donations. You could build your own membership website or use on-platform memberships, but you'll split 70-30. Twitch is 50-50, other platforms are 60-40. You can do affiliate links in every description of your videos for your um, live streams, your video podcast, and you can put uh, affiliate links in the show notes of um, across certain um, apps and platforms. However, you should disclose all sponsorships, disclose all links, and if something is your own website where you benefit from promoting the thing, you have to disclose that you're the owner and not pretend that you're not the owner and that it's like, oh, it's a separate um, entity or whatever. You have to disclose things that you own, that you profit from, that you promote per FTC guidelines and standard not be a scumbag ethics. And so uh, just keep all of those things in mind with your monetization. So I'll, I'll just, just add do it one ethically. small thing, uh, which again goes back to your user persona or your ICP and your podcast. So there are roughly seven to eight ways to monetize your podcast, right? Now, you can go via tipping model uh, or Patreon model. You can go via an advertising model, a host red model, a merchandising model, a, a, a live show model, and a couple of others. Now, if you know who your audience is very, very well, and you know what your podcast is about, you should pick two of these and not more, right? And then you can have affiliate links, right? So once you've picked just about two of these, because you don't want to inundate people with too much stuff, According to what your show is, let's say that your show is about pop culture and you have these eight different options. Logically, pop culture can be really good for merchandising and it can be really good for live shows and for advertising, right? And then you pick which ones work best for you. Let's say you're creating a self-help podcast. Now that self-help podcast could be really good for tipping, patronage. It will not be a good podcast for merchandising as much so, right? So the best way to look at this is to look at your array of options first in the array of options look at who your audience is look at what your podcast is about pick the two or three that make the most sense a b test a little bit with those two or three whichever ones are giving you the best retention plus the highest amount of revenue just stick with those and don't inundate people that's all i'll say the caveat on that though is if you have other formats like if you have your podcast or live show but then you also have short form or something you can segment 
other monetization yeah. streams based on like your format of video versus live versus short form. So keep that in mind. I'm going to drop a little bit of a truth bomb on here. 90% of you will never be monetized on YouTube ever because you won't reach the 4,000 hours. So let's, let's just have a reality check here just a little bit. Some of you will be successful on YouTube, but the one monetization model that no one has talked about is your audience and the value for value model. You providing value to your audience, they provide value back to you in time, talent, or treasure. Time and talent is, they help you with social media. They help you with information that produces your show. Time and talent is valuable in, in leveraging your right. audience to help your show it's grow. The treasure right. is, if yeah. I provided value back to me, provide <laughs> value back to me monetarily, there is a whole, there's a great website, valueforvalue.info. This is a great way to get started on learning what value for value is. You come to the podcasting 2.0 stuff, we'll have you talk about um, what's happening in that region and things called Boost and uh, streaming sats. And if this is all foreign to you, please come Saturday. But I think the, um, the thing you have to remember is to have a successful monetized show requires intense amount of work. I've been very, very lucky. I've had the same sponsor on my podcast since June of 2005. And there's been a strategy that I employed to keep that sponsor happy. And what it ultimately ends up with, no matter who you're working with, you have to provide ROI back to that, to that person that's spending money with you. You have to deliver. Where you may not want to monetize, and that's fine. You may want to grow an audience. Maybe the goal wasn't monetization. But again, this value for value and getting value back from your audience from the content you're producing is, is a model that a show called No Agenda, they raise tens of thousands of dollars every month from listener donations. They've gamified their model. It's very unique. Not everyone can duplicate this, but you can duplicate it at a different level. What is the goal? Is the goal to get a car payment? Is the goal to have enough money to pay your hosting bill? Is the goal to be able to take your spouse out to dinner? There's different goals in podcasting, and I think we have to be realistic for content creators, and we all talk about all these great things we can do, but the main thing you gotta do is you gotta build an audience, baby. You wanna monetize, you gotta grow that audience. You gotta make it, you gotta, cause you gotta have a big enough audience to satisfy the sponsors delivering ROI to change your life. A hundred percent. And statistically, you know you're right. Like statistically, they did a thing, nine to five Google published this. This isn't Roberto stats, this is even nine to five Google. 88% of videos on YouTube never get a thousand views. Right. Um, out of, I did a stat where I found that um, much less than 10% of all channels on YouTube ever make it into the partner program, ever get monetized. So yes, 90% or worse, never get monetized on YouTube, not through the partner program, we have even shown- with the expansion. We have shows that are doing value for value. If you backed it out into a CPM, they're making a $100 CPM based on getting value back from their audience in what I call fiat, basically PayPal, uh, Patreon, whatever it may be. Your CPM yep. might be higher from your audience just writing you a check. So, Rob, we got to meet somebody else? Yep. Yeah, this, my name's John. Todd, I think you answered my question. Uh, three and a half years ago, I started my podcast every week. And Roberto, I have a real job, so this is a, a supplement to our consulting practice. I love it. And I'm tired. I'm super tired. But what is the risk of going 
every other week if I've already established a weekly cadence. Well, I'll just lay out stats. Shows that go weekly grow twice as fast as shows that go bi-weekly. <laughs> and then it just goes down. So your growth rate is really going to be cut in half. But if you are going to go bi-weekly, make sure that you you want to make tell your audience why you're going bi-weekly. They will, they, they, hey, they've been there for a long time. You say, I'm tired. Are you live I'm tired. or recorded? Are you doing live or are you recorded? So Wait, recorded? If, if you want to grow, you've got to be weekly. You've got to be. That's, that's Can we get him the mic back? I want to ask him a follow-up question. Sure. <laughs> I want to ask him a follow-up question. What's, what's the biggest bottleneck in your workflow right now? What's the biggest time suck? Uh, it's me, but I'm using AI. And, I mean, I've started to use AI and other resources of team members in our organization to optimize my so, time. It, so all you do now is the recording part? or Oh, I do the... Editing, publishing. Okay, so you delegate, automate, eliminate. Delegate, automate, eliminate. You need to be the talent. Delegate the editing. You're not the best editor in the world. Let it go. You're not the best editor in the world. You might be the best script writer for your subject matter. You might be the best performer for your subject matter. You might be the best leader of your organization. Delegate everything that exists outside of your zone of genius. Automate everything that doesn't require specialization at all and can be mechanical. And eliminate anything that doesn't serve you and doesn't create value for your audience. Delegate, automate, eliminate. And that's why I'm a podcast. When I I started podcasting, I had three kids under five. No, two kids under five, and then a new one coming on on the way. Uh, I had active duty in the military, working insane hours, but I sacrificed and still put out two shows a week. But what did I give up? I gave up editing. Because if I'd edited, I would have been divorced. <laughs> so I cut the ends oh, wow. off the show That's what I wanted. put it out as is. I made myself a better podcaster. So I saved myself two or three hours of time by eliminating the editing. Has it hurt me? Nope. I'm still here. Still an active podcaster. Still have a sponsor. Still have a growing audience. So figure out where the bottlenecks are, like he said. And if you can afford to hire an editor, do that. I don't because I don't edit. So... Not of you can live with that, but that was my choice, to be able to continue podcasting in 1,717 episodes. And when Blueberry gets that AI out to handle the audio mastering, what will save your marriage is you won't get divorced. Well, we actually employed media mastering with a company, so all you got to do is, if you want your media master, just pay the extra at Blueberry and we media master it automatically. It's no editing, it's just leveling it. Ophonic. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Alphonic. I love Alphonic. Very good. Very good company. Yeah. Buzzsprout and us integrate with Alphonic. You guys got, did you guys We're integrate with Alphonic? Yeah. Well, I mean, not yet. We haven't gone live yet. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay. Another question. Oh, oh, here we go. No, oh, no, no. RSS.com. <laughs> Long time listener, first time talker. Uh, Todd, I wanted to give you some news that just came out. Oh. About the podcasting 2.0 transcript tag. Oh. Apple will be honoring that tag in version 17.4 of iOS. So let me tell you how big this is. The transcript tag has been added to podcasting for about two years. And RSS.com, Buzzsprout, Blueberry, RSS Blue. Who else? Transistor. Transistor, Captivate. Is YouTube on it yet? Uh, so what happens now is when you have a SRT file that's a, basically a transcript or an SRT file, 
Um, in many of the new Podcasting 2.0 apps, when you are playing the episode, you can actually see the transcript play through. Blueberry put a web player in where if the web player plays a transcript, and we did it purely for accessibility issues. Now, the big naysayers have said, oh, Podcasting 2.0 is not expanding because Apple's not doing it. Well, Apple's adding transcripts to iOS, and this is huge for, this will be the first time ever ever in 19 plus years that Apple has adapted a feature that they didn't Create basically themselves. force that down our throat. <laughs> that, that wasn't proprietary? Yeah, yeah, yeah that wasn't right. proprietary. So this is, this is major. That's yeah, major so news. It, yeah, it really opens the door to potentially Apple embracing more podcasting 2.0 tags. Right. Um, right now, what format do we export from StreamYard for our captions, our transcripts from StreamYard? It's TXT. It's TXT right now. So you can, there are plenty of um, TXT to um, RST converters. So you could just take your TXT file from StreamYard, run it through a converter, and now you have it for your audio upload there. It, so if very you, convenient. If you use Descript, they will produce a text and an SRT file for you that you'll be able to... Yeah. Add to your um, production. Obviously, we do it, and other hosts do as well. Mm -hmm. So, if your host is not participating in Podcast 2.0, and you ask them, "Do you support the transcript function?" If they say no, you say, "Well, Apple's adding it. How come you're not?" So, Get use them. that leverage. We want you to do that because you, as podcasters, are the ones that will force the hand of companies that are not participating right now. But so, which main one is, isn't doing it? Most, I mean, all of us, most of them are doing it. Well, most are not. The, well, there's, again, there is probably seven or eight, maybe, maybe seven or eight that have supported transcript. You, you can yeah. find out by going to podcastindex.org, click on the apps, and you'll see all the apps, that, apps and hosts that support transcript. Is there, is, there, um, is there a podcast lexicon that exists? Uh, a lexicon? I don't lexicon. understand. So that all the terms and every piece of jargon oh. in the podcast ecosystem existed all in one place? Is there a lexicon? No, but we don't call them... When I say tag, you guys glaze over. As a, We want to convey features. So putting a transcript into your podcast episode is a feature for your audience. We don't want to get wrapped up in the gobbledygook of, R, of RSS feeds. Uh, just understand that when you publish your episode, if you can attach a transcript and that's carried through on your feed, that is a feature that will be surfaced in apps that support it. Yeah, and, and really because Apple is now embracing the transcript, it's, it's really highly likely that Spotify will follow us. They'll have to. Uh, all of them will, because also you have to remember, all the AI technology that they want to use going forward is going to be largely use, predicated yeah. on the transcripts. Yeah. This is what Google and YouTube have been doing, and yeah, this is what they've key. been talking been to me about. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube's entire algorithm is predicated yeah. largely now on, this is why I told you that don't conflate keywords. That's a strategy thing. Tags and keywords are not the same thing. I know it gets conflated. YouTube used to conflate that more. YouTube tags do not matter the way they used to. But keyword strategy matters because of intent behind what you do. It matters for your title. And what I will tell you is it matters in the transcript and it matters in those chapters that you do, those uh, chapters that you do in your video for the timestamps because Google is surfacing just the chapters now in the search results, not just for YouTube, but for Google. So transcripts will be 
the thing going forward because that's what all the AI is built that's on. That's the key. That's, that's the key. It's the key to everything. We're, we're really out of time. So one thing to remember is two major companies in the United States got sued because they weren't providing transcripts on audio content. They said they couldn't do it. Little old podcasting companies did this. A lot of podcasting companies implemented transcripts for their listeners. When these big companies say they couldn't do it, well, the podcast community led the pace on that. All right, so we're out of time. So I want to give you two an opportunity how people can reach out to you. So I'm, I'm on booth 26. So when you guys are on your way out, I'll be right there. But how about those that are listening later? Give them an uh, email. Uh, Gotham at hubhopper.com. So G-A-U-T-A-M at Hubhopper, H-U-B-H-O-P-P-E-R.com. Uh, and yeah, that's that's where you can reach me or on my socials. It's Just my... Just on the screen here. The yeah. It's yeah. that complicated name yeah. you see over there. So you just need to search that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Yeah. And whichever is your favorite. LinkedIn. Roberto. So I'm Roberto Blake. Uh, it just sounds exactly like it is. Robert with an O and then Blake, just like Lake, but with a B in front of it. So you can find me on every single social media at Roberto Blake. You can go to robertoblake.com to learn more about me, find out about me, buy things from me. <laughs> and uh, I primarily uh, do YouTube. I've made 1,600 free videos for you over there. You can listen to my podcast named after my best-selling book called uh, it's the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. My book is called Create Something Awesome. You can buy that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere books are sold, iBooks, all the things, all the plugs. That is exactly how you plug your things and sell them. Rob? Yeah, I can be found on X uh, at Rob Greenlee. You can see my address up on the screen up there. But I also have a website uh, at robgreenlee.com. You can send me an email if you want, robgreenlee at gmail.com. will actually get a message to me. And, and I do a live show on StreamYard called Podcast Tips with Rob Greenlee. It's live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Just go to the StreamYard kind of channel page on YouTube and you can you can check it out. So. More importantly, go to newmediashow.com. You'll be able to follow or subscribe to the podcast on your po- favorite podcast app above the fold in the right-hand column of the website. To reach me, it's I'm Todd at blueberry.com. Uh, blueberry without the, well, without the ease because uh, they were $2 million. But anyway... Um, also on X, I'm at, at Geek News, on Mastodon, at Geek News, at geeknews.chat. For those of you that are on Mastodon, we want to thank you for attending our live recording of the new media show. Thank you so much. Have a great podcast. We'll hopefully see you next year. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody.